Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Queensland artist Brooke Chevelle is known for his high-energy live shows. He has released several country rock singles over the past few years, and the latest is Put Em Up. Hi, Brooke. G'day. How are you going? I'm very well, thank you, and looking forward to talking to you about the song and about some other things. In fact, I will go straight to the song. What is Put Em Up about? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just about, you know, kind of living life with a bit of an attitude and just and just going at it really it's you know what are you going to do if you know if life starts to get you down put them up that's what it's about yeah right do you think it's when you're a live performer there's a bit of of having to fake it till you make it sometimes like you don't necessarily feel like putting on a show but you have to put them up uh yeah yeah, I guess that that works in that that's the I mean that's the reason I kind of chose the title in the first place because there's so many different kind of scenarios that you know there's put them up you know like put put up your dukes if you're fighting or Mm. put your drinks up in the air or put your hands up in the air like there's that was kind of why I came up with it you know country music there's you like to have those you know those little sayings that have you know multiple meanings yeah so how long ago did you write this song uh the music was written right at the start of COVID I just went through this this really really um purple patch of writing I thought Honestly, I thought I hadn't didn't have any more songs in me. I right. thought that that's it. Um, it's just I've written all my songs, and that's what it is. And because I play so many gigs, um, I just wasn't picking up the guitar for fun anymore. Right. And and because COVID kind of killed all the gigs, and I also had a back injury, so I couldn't work. And I literally sat on the couch and just noodled on guitar. Right. That, that was one of the songs that came out actually took a really long time to write the lyrics for it though and it wasn't wasn't until last year I got together with Nat Pearce and and Tori Dark and we wrote the we wrote the lyrics together so yeah so you so it was before COVID that you felt like that was it you had no more songs yeah I hadn't I mean aside from Fearless Rider I hadn't I'd probably written a song in five years right and that's a really long time for me I used to you know I'd be writing at least coming up with little parts. It's not even necessarily about, you know, writing a completed song. It's just, you know, oh, that's a cool thing. I'll record that little, you know, it might be a guitar lick or a little, you know, write a write an idea for a lyric in a you know, on my notes or something like that. But it just I just didn't have anything coming out. It was so weird. Do you think it's the peril of playing a lot that like you get, you, you you know, you putting all your energy into performing and because yes, you do have a high energy live show that takes a lot and there's not necessarily anything left for other creative pursuits. I find that I kind of go through phases as far as um, music goes. It's like, if I'm in a writing phase, I'm in a writing phase. I don't even think about performing. Like if I've got, you know, gigs that come up, then sure I go and do them, but I don't really think about the, the live performances and I'm not really thinking about recording so much. It's just, this is coming out. And then as soon as I start recording, I generally stop writing. Okay. It just, it just turns off. It's like, I don't even think about it. It's just gone. And I'm, and I think where did all that creativity have 
that I had go. And then I realized, well, now I'm thinking about how does this song become a finished product? You know, like how do I, what do I want the drums to sound like? What do I Mm. want the guitar parts to be? Because I'm very hands-on with all that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, I don't, I'm not a drummer and I don't profess to try and tell my Michael, my drummer, what to play because I, he would probably shoot me if I did, but <laughs> I'll tell him, I'll tell him what I like and what I don't like. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, usually the guitar parts are all me. Like I'll, I'll sit with, like I sat with Jared Adlam and we kind of, I never really done that before. I'd always recorded guitar parts and then taken them into Oh, to whoever was mixing you know okay. but this time around I actually sat in the studio with him and we kind of worked worked through solos on the spot which I've never done before I've always written my solos beforehand so that I knew what I was going to play and I could go in it's more um you know time efficient and all that kind of stuff but I kind of wanted to really go with a, a bit more of a older process I guess you know back oh, in the just... 70s bands would go in with nothing written <laughs> And like Deep Purple went in for their the album that's got smoke on the water on it. They did not have one song written. And they came out with an album 10 days later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, different processes for different times. And maybe it was because of who you were working with. Maybe you thought, hey, I want to I do want to see what Jared's got to say about this. That's true. I mean, he's he's a great guitar player as well. So there'd be times he'd say, Why don't you try this lick? Why don't you try this thing? And I'd say, Oh, yeah, that, that'll work. Or, you know, sometimes I'd be like, I've oh, I just would never play that. So I'm not going to play that now. <laughs> yeah, right. So when you had your purple patch at the start of COVID, did you keep track of how many songs you wrote? Uh, I mean, if you look in my notes on my phone, there's probably, it, it literally from the start of COVID, there's probably 200 different, they're not finished songs by any stretch, but, you know, they're probably, it's, it's usually going to be um, some kind of riff a verse, a verse guitar part uh, and a chorus guitar part and, you know, if there's any other parts. I've usually got that down. But I've always, uh, I mean, I'm not exclusively a write music first, but in general I would say probably 80% of the songs I've written have been music first and the other 20% have been like, I don't know, it feels like they come from somewhere else because I'm not a natural lyric writer. But I've, there's been times and I've just literally, there's a song on my first album called He's There and I read it, I wrote, I wrote it in 20 minutes. Right. It literally, and I, I'm not going to say where I wrote it, but it literally just, <laughs> it was written in 20 minutes and it never right. changed. Right. So do you have a sort of self-editing process when you have that collection of riffs and things like that, whereby it's the ones that you are sticking in your brain that you go back to and do something with, or do you just have a process where you go through those notes and, and listen again and get rid of what's not going to function? I never get rid of anything, but mm-hmm. um, because you never know, it, you might think, oh, that verse is pretty lame and that chorus doesn't work, but that riff really is, it could be something. And because mm-hmm. there's only, there's only so many keys that I write in, most of my songs are going to be in, well, a lot in E or D, really, because they're just the keys that are guitar. Guitar is a very E-orientated instrument or G. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you've got a lot of that, then the the riffs that you write will be in those keys and they're pretty much transferable between songs a lot of times. So mm-hmm. that's happened. I, it's funny because I'll have a finished song and then I'll listen back through my notes and go, oh, that things from there and that things from there. And, it's, <laughs> and I remember because I remember writing them thinking, they weren't supposed to go together. 
Yeah, right. Did you see how the brain works like that, isn't it? Clearly you recorded it on the hard drive somewhere as yeah. well as in the notes, yeah. Um, so because you have played festivals and, and big shows, when you take this song or take any song like this to the studio, do you start to think about how you're going to translate that to an audience? Like when you record it, no. Not at all. I, <laughs> I just, I and this is a, I heard a friend, I was in a band with a guy named Aaron Downs back, a long, long time ago. And he said to me, why would you ever record? Because I used to be that. I used to think bass, drums, two guitars, and whatever instrumentation's in the band, and that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And he said, why would you do that? You could record, you know, it's not like Freddie Mercury and went in and recorded Bohemian Rhapsody with just the guys in the band. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many overdubs and so much extra stuff on there. And then you work out how you're going to do a version of that. Mm-hmm. right and I, I kind of like I really like that that deal too like I don't I don't use backing tracks when I perform because I like to go out and do something that you know people that know the song go oh that was that was a little bit different because mm-hmm. it's going to be whatever's on the stage at the time mm-hmm. and so now you mentioned working with Jared Adlam why was he the right producer for this because he's close now nah, um Jared's a <laughs> <laughs> he is close and the guy I used the guy named Adrian Hannon um for my first two albums and he, actually his son Josh is in the top six of Australian Idol at the moment oh, right. there you go as, as a and and I hear uh, um Adrian and and Barb I, I love those guys and but Melbourne it's just too far to be going to Melbourne and back and I'd heard a bunch of stuff that Jared had done um yeah just just through you know being the scene here and it just happened that when COVID hit all of his clients you know like they could he had interstate clients they couldn't get here he had you know obviously a whole bunch of people were scared out of their minds so they just they were kind of cancelling left right and Mm centre and I and I thought oh well I'm I'm happy to go and I don't care so I just I had a couple of things that I wanted to do I didn't like I didn't even necessarily have anything finished at the time, but um, I thought, well, if I can go in and he's a super nice, he's an easygoing guy, really nice guy. He's so easy to get along with and so into the process as well. And mm-hmm. he kind of works on, um, you know, I think he pretty quickly figures out what you like as a person and where, how you're going to be with it. You know, some people, he has people going to him that have lyrics and maybe a couple of chords that, you know, they don't really know how the song goes and he'll basically write the song and record everything. Right. And I, and I go in and say, but, but, but you just press record over there, big fella. I'm <laughs> going to do most of the work here because that's, uh, that's the kind of guy I am. And he works everywhere in between there as well. You know, he works with, you know, guys who do everything and he works with people that, you know, don't really know what to do. And that's, it's great because it means that, you know, there's people in the scene who could never record something by themselves but yeah. he, he facilitates that really well. Yeah. I think you've just done a great wrap on why Jared would be a good producer for a range of people. So if anyone's watching in, in Southeast Queensland, needs a producer. No, don't <laughs> go there. I'm, I struggle to get in with him as it is. <laughs> <laughs> He's so yeah, busy. Yeah, look ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but let's start at the beginning for you because, you know, the, what you just described going into the studio and saying just press record is because that that comes from being an artist with a lot of experience um, and a lot of understanding of how music works, how songs work. So go right back to the beginning of you and music. What was the first instrument you picked up and how old were you? 
um, my my dad had a um, well, it's called a cord organ, and basically it's it, uh, an air pump blows through the thing, and it's kind of like a piano accordion but set flat. So right. it's got the the black and white keys of piano accordion on one side, and on the other side, on your left hand side, it's got not as many, but it's got you know a bunch of the chords that are on a piano accordion as well. Ooh. So basically, it's um. I just, I, I'd turn it on and just pick things out right. initially because I had no idea about music and I was probably five okay. when I started doing that. And um, then I was lucky enough to go to a high school that had a really good, oh, well, a tech school back in the day that had a really good music program and we had 20 keyboards and headsets and all that kind of business. So I've always had um, a fairly decent ear. Like I'm, I'm, I'm no elite, you know, stand up on stage and have someone start playing and me play along i'm not that guy but i'd say to the teacher oh could you just play through this song for me and then i hadn't because i just i didn't really want to learn how to read music so i just learn it i'd learn it by ear right and then she'd say because we'd have to be tested on every song so i'd play it and she'd say oh no you made a mistake there and say so I'd say, could you just play through it again for me? <laughs> I never, ever learned read music because I just cheated. <laughs> well, except, you know, it's, it's different things that work for different people. I think there are, yeah. there are plenty of musicians who never learned to read music. And I've said, because I learned to read music from a, quite a young age, I can't play by ear at all. Right. So I, give me a piece of music to sight read, fine. But, um, but yeah, it just it's escapes me to do it any other way. A lot of the, um, I think a lot of the uh, Japanese, um, like back in the 80s, is it the Suzuki or Yamaha? So they kind of learn by ear first and then learn how to read. A lot of, because guitar players, you don't really need to know how to read because there's so few circumstances under which you would actually need that. Like you you need to be able to read a chart, but that's not music per se. That's just, you know, usually in, in the country scene, it's numbers, a number chart, which... I'm like, why wouldn't you just write the chords? Just write the <laughs> letters. I know what the letters are. I don't want to have to convert the number into a chord into my brain doesn't work that fast. <laughs> well, also, yes, you're right. The chord system is perfectly fine. But you talked about um, the chord organ and like the piano accordion. Piano accordion looks to me like the most complex instrument of all time. I've had a look at one of those things up close. I don't know how anyone can work out how to play them. There's so much going on, both hands and and all the, the chords to put together with the left hand. Yeah. I, yeah. Just an acknowledgement more than anything. Yeah, big time. I mean, I never got any good at it. It was just that that happened to be the instrument that we had at home that I could kind of, you know, that kind of, you know, pushed me to want to do that. And I actually wrote my first song when I was about seven. Right. Well, it didn't have any it didn't have any music and years and years because i still remember it and years and years later i actually went back and worked out what music would be behind it it was just basic wow. 12 bar blues but yeah i didn't know that at the time right so when did you decide to start singing um about three weeks ago by the sounds of it now um <laughs> i um I got sick of, I, I could always sing like, um, but kind of my dad's got a good voice. It kind of runs in the family and we would go on holidays and we'd have sing-alongs in the car and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of um, worked that way. And I was usually one of the better singers in whatever school I was at, you know, mm-hmm. and, but I just kind of really focused on guitar. Like uh, when I was, 
I started playing when I was 17. I basically locked myself in my room for five years and didn't, didn't really think about singing because my voice had broken and I went from being a boy soprano to having this bass baritone thing. I had no idea what it, how to, how to, you know, get back to what I had. Mm. And um, so, yeah, I just kind of let it go. I thought, oh, well, I'm never going to be a singer. I can sing Hootie and the Blowfish songs and that's about it because <laughs> it's nice and low. But, um, yeah, I guess I, I played in bands, you know, a whole bunch of bands in Melbourne and I sang a couple of songs here and there just to give the singer a break, choice songs that suited my voice. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it was really, I don't know, I was in a band and just had three different singers that were all unreliable and eventually got to the point where I went, I'm just going to sing. Right. And, and plus because, I, and then when I was writing my own stuff, it was written for my voice. So mm-hmm. yeah, I could do whatever I wanted then. And because country, you can get away with doing a low voice thing. <laughs> as, as it turns out, I've probably got a, a much higher register than, uh, like I can still do the low stuff as well, but I can actually sing a lot higher now than I could I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, I've been having lessons for the last five years and it's just blown my mind, to be honest. Yeah, right. But what you were saying about having been a boy soprano and then, you know, your voice breaks, I often think that would be so strange and maybe a little bit heartbreaking for a, a boy who was a singer before his voice broke. And then, as you said, you don't know what to do with it. It's a completely different instrument after that. It, it, really, like, it really was. I could sing all the girl songs. Like I could sing... Oh, I'm just trying to think of the song. Oh, like any of the female songs out of The Sound of Music. I could sing all those songs, even the Climb Every Mountain thing. I could sing that in full voice, no problem. And then, I I mean, then it was uh, after my voice break, it was just trying to pick up the pieces of what was left. And there was not much left. I mean, it's, it's taken probably literally 15 years to get to it took 15 years to get to a point where I felt comfortable singing on stage really right but you just said over the past few years you've been having lessons and I wonder whether that technique you learned as a boy soprano has been the reason why you could get some more of your range now no that was because it was all natural when I was a kid I never had any lessons it was just there I never even had to think about it I could just sing high I could just it was just there yeah but now, anyway, look, you're expanding your range now and that's to the benefit of, of the songs that you're recording now. So yeah. before you recorded Put Them Up, did you have a chance to road test it with audiences? Um, I played it twice. Okay. So I played it at um, Gimpy last year. Right. And I'm not going to... Well, Gimpy was okay because I had another guitar player. And the, the riff in it is not, not... It's not a technical riff or anything, but it's very syncopated to the vocal mm-hmm. so and i because i'd recorded them separately i hadn't even thought about that whereas right. normally i've played a song you know 50 times on stage so I'm, I'm okay with it but then i did a um i did a charity gig um with adam brand um at the start of january and it was just a three-piece gig me yeah. a bass player and a drummer and i realized oh i'm gonna have to be able to do this so I just sat there basically doing the you know pat my head and rub my stomach thing for a couple of weeks and it came together yeah right um and because that point you make about you know normally you'd have played a song quite a few times before you record it so you'd have worked that out of course uh lockdown would be the reason well pandemic generally would be the reason why there weren't a lot of gigs to play at even though you're in Queensland 
and it was the relatively free state of Queensland, it wasn't like things were normal. Well, there were, I mean, there was a lot of um, cover gigs, but, you know, they weren't really doing much original stuff. So I was still gigging a lot, but just not doing my own stuff. Right. Um, so when you went into the studio with Jared to record Put Him Up, did you record other things at the same time or was it just focused on that song? Okay. So I basically, I didn't realise it at the time, but um, I went in and recorded some stuff because I'd been sitting in front of the TV watching um, a whole bunch of VH1 specials, like just on YouTube. And it was all 70s stuff, like, you know, Chicago and um, uh, Grand, Grand Funk Railroad and all these kind of, I'd just fall down the rabbit hole. And then I'd sit there playing along with, you know, not necessarily what they were playing, but just I'd get a vibe and think, oh, this would be cool if I could do something that was like that, you know. So I actually wrote a, and it won't be released as as me, but I've kind of recorded a 70s rock album as well. <laughs> well, so when you say you won't release it as you, are you going to use a completely different name? Yeah. Right. So like a, like a separate project, separate yeah. gigs, everything. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a band name. It's been recorded under a band name. Okay. So does that and um, there are there are a couple of songs there that are probably fairly crossover there because because seventies rock is very country based anyway. Like the Eagles are basically a country band. Mm-hmm. Well, Mac basically played country music. The Rolling Stones are doing country in the seventies as well. So there's a lot of crossover there. Yeah, interesting. Um, it's, all, it's very mysterious. It sounds almost like a, like a secret project. Uh, so what, uh, what, which artists do you think have influenced you most as a country performer? Uh, initially it was Keith Urban because mm-hmm. as a kid, I, I mean, my dad listened to a lot of country, mm-hmm. but to me it was dad's music. You know, he listened to, you know, Charlie Pride and Johnny Cash and that kind of stuff, and I didn't, didn't resonate with me. Um, but then I saw Keith Urban on, um, this is going to date me very badly right now, but I saw him on the Visard show and, and he played a song called Clutterbilly and it's basically just him shredding. Like he's just, back then he's, I mean, he still plays a lot of guitar, but his guitar playing was right at the forefront. And I thought, wow, this guy can actually really play. And I went out and bought his first Australian album, which is pre- pre the American album I think it was 1993 or 92 or something like that it's called anyway and I've always loved Keith Urban ever since then I've like there was times where I I mean I didn't start listening to other country music until kind of Faith Hill right but it was I always listened to Keith all the way through yeah well there are a lot worse performers to love than Keith Urban because yes he is amazing live in particular yeah. so what's ahead for you this year as I said you Right on the big live shows, there are some festivals in your home state coming up. Uh, are yeah. you playing any? Um, all well, none of them are actually announced yet. So oh, I don't know who you are. We never had this conversation. <laughs> and I, so when they don't announce yet, I also don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you do know, and you can't say. Um, I think that's often. Nah. <laughs> but yeah, it's. I mean, I, I've I've got a fairly um, hefty release schedule for this year because I really I haven't I haven't really given it a push for a while. It's been you know a few years since I released multiple songs in a year, so mm-hmm. I really want to. I've got four songs like that are ready to go as singles, and the next one will be released in May. So um, I want to try and get four or five. There'll probably be a couple of soft releases. Like I won't go through the whole 
release schedule of doing all the radio and all that kind of stuff. It'll just be more, you know, trying to service my fan base kind of deal. So mm-hmm. probably a couple of cover songs as well because sure. just Why songs not? that I really love. And I've always, I mean, my first album had a cover of Flame Trees on it. So right. I'm not I'm not against the idea. I just never released it as a single. I had a lot of pressure from people in radio saying, you got to release that song, you got to release it. So I'm like, I don't want to be that guy that makes it on a cover and then but I'm the cover singer. I don't <laughs> want to be that guy. That's fair enough. Um, do you get nervous or excited before you release new music? Um, just feels like I'm standing at the edge of a big hole throwing money in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different kind of emotion again. <laughs> um, I mean, hopeful. I'm always very hopeful, like, because you never know which, you know, never know what songs are going to resonate with people. Mm-hmm. And this whole thing is about connection, right. nothing else. It could be, it could be my favourite song, like, I think Put Em Up is one of the best songs that I've ever done, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily resonate with other people. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those people that writes for the fans. There, mm-hmm. um, a lot of those people, I'm not that guy I write for me. Mm-hmm. And if people happen to like it as well, then that is a massive bonus. And we're, you know, we're all searching for that connection. But yeah. I don't try and second guess the audience because, you know, I don't just don't, I think art is about an expression of yourself, not mm-hmm. about what you think other people like. You know, Van Gogh's not out there, wasn't out there painting pictures that he thought other people wanted to see. He was painting from the heart. And that's, I write from the heart too. So, I mean, I might also die destitute and hopefully people will discover my music later as well. <laughs> hopefully with both your ears intact. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to cut my ear off. That would be horrible. <laughs> yeah. But Put Em Up is a very likeable song and it is out now and you have some new other songs coming, which is great news. So, Brooke Chevelle, thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.